0: hello and welcome to another episode of shadow talk i'm your host michael marrier in this week's episode a rude awakening for smart tv users satori son of mirai targets yet more insecure devices but what on earth will it be used for the middle eastern espionage campaign oil rig adopts new powershell techniques we dive into powershell security risks in general and provide some tips And following news from the U.S. cert around the Russian threat to critical power systems, we look to put the Energetic Fair campaign into perspective. All this and much more in this week's Shadow Talk. Hello listeners, welcome to another episode. Joining me today, we've got the reliable Dr. Richard Gold. Hello Rich. Hi Mike. And we've got Rose Bernard, the Strategic Research Manager Digital Shadows Rose, how are you doing? It's been a, a little while.
1: It has, I'm pleased to be back.
0: Uh, how upset are we feeling about the lovely weather in England? Uh, I'm, I'm sad to be missing it, but as Rich told me yesterday, <laughs> it's like living in soup.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not really upset about it because the heat has actually drained all capacity for emotional involvement out of me. <laughs> so, unless kind of like I just roll into a swimming pool, there's, there's no hope.
0: Yeah, well, could be worse. Be specific. Show you're working. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess we should probably talk about cybersecurity things. A a few stories that we're going to cover this week, but let's start off with news about the Satori botnet, which has been targeting some new devices, taking advantage of some uh, open ports. Now, it might be good to just remind ourselves about the Satori botnet. Um, We first mentioned it on the pod about seven months ago when the source code was publicly released. But uh, Rose, perhaps you want to talk the listeners through what exactly the Satori botnet is.
1: Yeah, so Satori, which incidentally is the Japanese word for awakening, which is quite fascinating. But it is a botnet that kind of derives from the Mirai malware. And when it was first observed, it targeted these two exploits in order to infect devices on some open ports. So it was kind of, was essentially a worm because it's self-propagated through these networks. It targeted mostly internet of things devices or internet of things connected devices, um, which are predominantly compromised through brute force attacks. But it differed to other Mirai variants um, because it kind of identified additional targets and kept this self-propagation. So it targeted, when we first saw it, these two exploits, CVE 2014-8361 and CVE 2017-17215, I think, (laughs) if memory serves.
0: How could you Um, possibly forget such catchy names?
1: I know, I know. Shame on me. Uh, And it was in December 2017. There was this massive coming together of ISPs and cybersecurity companies who were trying to take down these command and control domains used by Satori. But in the 22nd, I mean, it's the 22nd of December. It still had between about 500,000 and 700,000 bots. Um, In January, we saw it again, and there were three main variants in. July, in June, sorry, we had an attack potential attribution that kind of linked Satori to DDoS attacks. So this is the 15th of June 2018. Um, it was a very, very tentative link. We haven't had anything confirming it yet, but it could indicate that whoever is behind this botnet, whichever threat actors are now kind of gearing up to this sort of malicious activity.
0: The update this this week has, has been it's targeting TCP port 5555, um, and specifically about just internet of things like smart TVs and Android devices and things like that. So it's potentially got the whack added of, of all of these devices as well.
1: Yeah, so there's a command line utility called the Android Debug Bridge, which is part of the Android module, which kind of communicates between Android devices and developers who run and debug apps. And security researchers identified a new campaign that was using this to target port 5555 on Internet of Things vulnerable devices. And what happened was they looked at the command and control server and found that this was linked to the Satori variant of the the Satori botnet because it used the same CT server and there were overlapping TTPs like the XOR method to encrypt strings. Um, And this kind of could, well, it's likely to indicate that the Satori botnet is now branching out into connecting other devices using ADB as another way to expand its reach. Um, Again, we've seen no malicious activity related to it. That doesn't mean it isn't capable of it. It just means it hasn't done it yet. It's lying in wait.
0: Yeah, but the potential, if these were incorporated into the botnet, I mean, what could you do with a botnet that is comprised of those sort of devices? Is that predominantly um, denial of service attacks or are there any other types of things that they could be used for?
1: So it's very similar things. So it is denial of service attacks. It's brute force cracking activity. You could use it to distribute malware. You could use it to distribute spam mail. Um, it's essentially about a botnet finding another way to expand its reach.
2: I think just the interesting thing was just to be to mention that it's, it's not an exploit, right? There's no sort of memory corruption or anything being used. It's just people have left something which allows you to upload code into a device exposed to the internet. So, you know, don't do that.
0: Um, pro tip. Okay. Um, well, we'll certainly keep an eye out on that and see whether any attacks materialize. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just just want to keep an eye on it at the moment. I think one other thing in the news this week is the more news on the oil rig campaign, oil um, rig espionage actor in the Middle East. Anything more on that actor, and then we'll we'll
1: dive into the updates this week. So we actually had two campaigns focusing on Iran reported this week, which I quite like because Iran is often like it's, it's kind of the third Hemsworth brother in nation state activity. You kind of, you know, it's there and it's kind of trying to do its own thing. And it's kind of trying to reach the fame of its siblings you know, it's in Russia and China. But it, it's getting there. It's in progress. And to have two reports in the same week is quite interesting. So the update we had on oil rig. Was that it had been seen again targeting the Middle East region, which is quite typical for it. But it used a PowerShell backdoor payload called Quad Agent, um, which is a new TTP for the group. Uh, it also used an open source tool to obscure code within Quad Agent, and it, they're kind of doing the very similar thing that they've always done. So they are consistently operating in the Middle East region. They consistently use relatively simple attack techniques, but they're now evolving this to attempt to avoid detection, which is quite an interesting developing awareness of their operating environment.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think um, the PowerShell element is, is, is very significant. Um, probably one of our most popular blogs that we've done is risks around PowerShell. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether Rich has any thoughts on this particular area.
2: So PowerShell is pretty much the go-to attacker TTP these days for these groups which are interested in network intrusions. So it was something that was very popular amongst sort of commercial pen testers red teams, for well, a good, good few years now. And has recently been part of more commodity threats. The advantage of PowerShell is that it's installed by default on Windows machines. So you have access to a large range of built in features that you can use for your attacks. And there are many sort of commercial and uh, non commercial off the shelf systems you can use PowerShell Empire, Cobalt Strike, which incorporate PowerShell. And we've seen many threat actors take advantage of them. Indeed, there's a threat group called Cobalt because they use Cobalt Strike, which is a legitimate Red Team tool. It's very powerful, as I mentioned. And with the older version of PowerShell, so the version two, there's a lot you can do without really getting caught. The logging is not so detailed as it is with uh, version five. So version five, which is available in Windows 10, really gives the the network defenders a lot of valuable information about what PowerShell scripts are running, what it's trying to do, if downgrade attacks are trying to be performed. So that's something which which is very useful. Unfortunately, many organizations haven't upgraded to the latest and greatest. So PowerShell 2 is still very much present in many organizations. And so attackers are really having a field day with all of the great features which PowerShell provides to offensive operations.
0: Thanks, Rich. Yeah, And and that piece of advice with version five is mentioned in our blog and alongside a bunch of other advice from the security engineering team. So do check that out. Now I want to spend probably the majority of the rest of the time uh, talking about the latest story and that's news of more activity targeting energy companies or do we want to call it Dragonfly APT or Energetic Bear? Does anybody care?
1: Dragonfly or Crouching Yeti. Don't forget Yetis.
0: Nobody puts the Yeti in the corner. (laughs) Who so wants to talk us through exactly what's been going on and the, the historic reporting around this and why exactly is Cropping up now?
2: I can start with a bit of background on this one. So Stradacta has been interested in power companies for a while now. And it's interesting for a number of reasons. One of the things is, of course, the targeting why would you want to compromise a power company? What possible reason could you have for that? And that's one thing. And then the tradecraft that they use in terms of how to operate inside of an industrial control network is also pretty interesting. Now, they've also been quite creative in their usage of TTPs to gain the initial access into the organizations. A lot of it has been around supply chain, trusted relationships, these kind of things. So they deliberately seek out supplier organizations for the the power grid industry, and they look for ones which are weakly defended. Maybe they don't have the security budget as some of the main organizations in the in the field do. And they compromise these supply organizations and they leverage then the trusted relationship between the supplier and the target to jump from one organization to another. Now, we see, saw this also even with the, the GRU indictment that we were talking about recently, when the attackers compromised one organization and used that access to bounce into another. So, it's a pretty effective and powerful TTP. And not only is it effective, it's also very, very difficult to defend against. So that's a real challenge for organizations to keep an eye on their supply chain, keep an eye on who has a trusted relationship into their environment. Now, the attackers were using you know, the standard TTPs, spear phishing, watering hole to gain that initial access. And once they're inside, one of the interesting things was that they were able apparently to jump between the IT network and then the control network and control network being where the actual ICS equipment would be, would be housed. Now it's, it's important to kind of see the the broader context of these things. So yes, they were able to get onto the control network and being on the control network, theoretically gives you the ability to shut off the power. And a lot of people have referenced the black energy attacks against Ukraine as example of uh, a cyber intrusion, which was then translated into a, some kind of real world impact. Now, the Ukraine power grid and the US power grid are of course very, very different. They, it's worth keeping in mind that there is an enormous amount of monitoring goes on with these safety critical industries. So even if you are able to take out the power by opening a relay, which is uh, what happened during the the Black Energy attack, to really build that into something which takes out the grid for any decent amount of time, that's actually very, very difficult. Now, Robert M. Lee, who works for JAGOS, writes very, very well on this subject. He's extremely knowledgeable, has a lot of great experience, and I think it's really worth paying attention to that issue where just because you got on, even to the control network, doesn't mean you can make that translate to a a large scale power outage.
0: So perhaps no Armageddon that is imminent, but there must be a reason. Not even (laughs) Cybergeddon.
2: I think one thing to keep in mind is the reporting talks about the extensive amount of reconnaissance that the attackers did before intruding into these environments. As I mentioned, the Ukrainian power grid is very different to the American power grid, which is then, of course, different to Western European power grid and so on. So different protocols, different technologies, different structure, the works, different regulatory environment, everything. and. Clearly the attackers needed to learn about this environment. They had to really put a lot of time and effort into getting to know their target environment. So they, according to the reporting, were stealing confidential information, which would detail the network structure, the network diagrams, the network architecture of these organizations, which equipment was being used, and then of course they could use this to do their own research for how to take advantage of these things, whether that's through some kind of feature abuse or stolen credentials or whatever. So once again, like we saw in the GRU indictment, that the attackers are really putting the effort into learning about their target environment. They're not just jumping in and hoping for the best, they're carefully preparing, and often it's tempting to rely on security through obscurity exclusively. That is assuming that your environment is so arcane, is so baroque and so obscure that attackers won't know what to do with it. But these attackers were really invested in their goal. They were really motivated, really committed. Uh, they clearly spent a lot of time familiarizing themselves with all of the details about these um, these power grid environments that they were breaking into. And there's a pattern that we also saw, as I mentioned, with the GRU indictment, and as we discussed a couple of weeks back, the uh, leaked Carbonac, not Carbonac source code. Those attackers also spending a lot of time getting to know the environments that they were operating in. So it's worth paying close attention to what information is available to attackers about what you're running and how can that be taken
0: advantage of. All right. Thank you very much, Rich. And thank you to both of you uh, for joining this week's pod and thank you at home for listening. To check out that blog on PowerShell security, uh, do visit our website at digitalshadows.com.